Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Is this thing on? Good. Okay. We're off. Uh, um, look, I uh, was running a bit late. I'm very sorry about that. Um, I'm dyslexic. A lot of people know that. Um, and I find it really hard to, to read maps because of the way dyslexia affects me. Um, just uh, any dyslexics with us? Yep, 10% of um, people are dyslexic. Um, I found out I was dyslexic when I turned up to a toga party dressed as a goat. <laughs> Wasn't that funny, I assure you. Uh, but because I can't read maps, and I'm not saying that all dyslexics can't read maps, just I can. Maybe it's not because I'm dyslexic, maybe it's just because I'm stupid. But 60%, um, you know, a lot of people are dyslexic. Uh, people like, you know, um, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, it's through um, Albert Einstein, Jorn Utzon, who designed the Sydney Harbour Opera House. I mean, yeah, it was meant to be square, but you get, give dyslexia a job, that's what you get. Um, 60% of Nobel Prize winners are dyslexic, OK? Not to say that 60% of dyslexics will win a Nobel Prize, but uh, just quietly, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> now, because I can't read maps, um, I have to ask for directions and people give me landmarks. And it's really interesting because you can tell a lot about a person by the way they give directions. I'll give you an example. This is my dad. Right, you're going along Brunswick Street, you've got the Royal Derby Hotel on the left-hand side, you've got the Provincial Hotel on the right-hand side. You keep going up the street past the Rainbow Hotel, past the Perseverance Hotel. You get to the end of the street, you've got where the Eastern Hill Hotel used to be. You turn left there, you go past the Baden-Powell Hotel, then the Cricketers Arms Hotel. You keep going up there. This is my mum. Right. Now, you know where Northland is? <laughs> If you leave out the Fossey's exit just near the best and less and go past the bingo, you'll go past the St Vincent de Paul place where I bought your birthday present last year. Keep going up that hill and then you'll see that direct to the public toilet paper warehouse where you buy the reject toilet paper in the slabs. It's <laughs> my brother Philip. 24, long-term unemployed, not even on drugs or suffering depression. Just shit. <laughs> Just shit. This is Philip giving directions. No, hang on. <laughs> you know where that road is? <laughs> Just over the road from the KFC and the McDonald's. Well, if you go down that road for about two smokes... <laughs> The Centrelink is there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, three kids, um, six, seven, eleven. Thanks for the applause. You know, if it was, it was America, you'd be, oh, you go, girl, you've got a vagina and you've had sex. Great. 
come on, we're adults. It's true. Uh, but it's not. It's Australia. It's like, get on with it, love. We've got to have lunch at 2 o'clock. So, um, uh, 6, 7, 11, uh, that's, not their, um, that's not their names. That's their ages. Um, but uh, I... They're, they're all boys. All boys. Now, living in an all-male household has made me want to have a T-shirt printed that just says, where have you looked? Couple of guys out there, I can see them, they're doing this. <laughs> what boys do we have to show you where the joke is as well? <laughs> a lot of people were asked when I'm at work, who's looking after the kids? Don't worry, they're out the front in the car with the handbrakes on, okay? <laughs> yeah, all male household. Look, uh, to be honest, there's upsides and there's downsides. Upside, you do feel like a princess. Downside, your toilet does smell like an animal enclosure. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, it's, look, it's, don't, uh, listen, here's the, here's the thing. Three boys and a trampoline. I have learned to call an ambulance as soon as I hear the words, watch this, guys. <laughs> don't, and listen, don't buy the supposed domestic genetic incompetence of boys if you've got them or you deal with them. This is how you do it, Okay. Take the, get a piece of paper, write it down. This is how you do it. Righto, boys, put the clothes on the line, but we don't know how to do it. If it was a PlayStation game, you'd work it out. Out you go. And wait till you get to level three. You'll have the power to unpack the dishwasher. It's totally awesome, dudes. It's no wonder I drink. <laughs> Doesn't explain why I do it at 9.30 in the morning, though. Um... Yeah, three boys. Uh, first one's name's Dominic, um, named after a bottle of Domaine Chandon. I know, classy. Uh, it was funny because we were actually drinking, we were necking long necks of beer on the day. We just thought Dominic sounded a bit more classy. Uh, he was born after 43 hours of labour. Now, after 43 hours of labour, I didn't think they should hand me a baby. I thought they should have given me long service leave. Now, our Dom, he's dyslexic too. He wants to be a doctor, which is great. Do you mind if I share with you a couple of his most recent questions about the human body? We're all adults, okay? Okay. All right. Two most recent questions about the human body. Mum, do you masturbate? <laughs> so proud. And, Mum, how do gay men have sex? Do they tie their penises together or do they wee in each other's mouths? Out of the mouths of babes. So, listen, the gay... Look, the thing is, don't get squeamish. Kids ask these questions and we've got to be open and honest and answer these questions. The gay question was very easy to answer. I was... 45 seconds before the taekwondo drop-off, I just said, ask your auntie Keith. <laughs> Sorted that out. <laughs> Masturbation one. Eh, not so easy. What did I do? Well, this is what I did. I took a large mouthful of wine, strapped on a fake smile, looked him straight in the face and said in one breath, yes, I do, darling. Quickly, boys, clear the table, get in the bath, go upstairs, put your pyjamas on, go to bed, first one to sleep, the winner. <laughs> now, that worked pretty well until Dominic said, no, 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 Mum, I don't understand how... Do you masturbate? 
I don't know exactly what I said, but according to Mum, Nana, Father O'Hanlon, Sister Mary Therese and the other people joining us for dinner that night, <laughs> I'm serious. Apparently I handled it very well. Uh, second son's name's Hugo. Uh, look, I'm not saying that he's gay, uh, but I will say that I'm fairly confident I'm going to have someone to go shoe shopping with for the rest of my life. It's really funny, people say, don't say that. I say, why not? I don't care, gay, straight, doesn't bother me. Um, he's really, how do I know he's gay? I don't know, I think he might be gay, which doesn't bother me at all. Well, firstly, his name's Hugo, dead giveaway. <laughs> right? Right there. Secondly, this was the nail in the coffin when he asked me, apropos nothing, Mum, what's choreography? I rest my case. Recently he asked me, um, uh, he asked me, Mum, did you used to be a caveman? And um, yes, I had just got out of the shower. And I said, no. And he said, what about Nonna? And I said, no, Nonna's just Sicilian, which she is. Um, so he's, he's mad for questions, that little one. They're cool. You've got it. I mean, you've got it. You are faced with things that you just have to handle and you go towards, you know, respect and diversity and being honest, but inside you're absolutely terrified of saying, you know, the wrong thing or something that can be kind of warped into something out and end up in a schoolyard and end up back at somebody else's dinner party. So it is, it is tricky. Um, the third one's name's Charlie and, oh, he's adorable. He's tiny. He could fit into one of those little kind of surprises and everybody thinks he's my favourite. He's not. I hate them all. <laughs> Equally. And I say to them every night just before they go to sleep, you're not my favourite, but you're getting pretty close. <laughs> Keep them on their toes. Um, but my, he's adorable. And mum calls him the DLT, the dear little thing, which is so sweet because somebody loved him and paid him any attention because he was the third boy and quite frankly, we were disappointed. <laughs> Got to chuck him over there. Just chuck him in the pile. We've got a few. I was thinking, we just had him for spare parts anyway. Uh, so he said, actually, you know what? I'm going to tell this story. He was born in the bath. Seriously. And we weren't expecting it. It was the third child. I was at a birthing centre. I was in the bath and I said to the midwife, how long have I got to go? And she said, well, quite frankly, Catherine, I don't think you're focusing enough on your contractions. I don't think you're relaxing enough between your contractions and I don't think the pain's intense enough. And I remember thinking... I'll show you. And I, the next contraction came, I stared onto the tile on the wall like it was going out of fashion. The contraction went, I lay like a starfish in the, in the bath, looking up at the, at the sky, imagining it was, you know, were, you know, bloody, I don't know, mermaids or something. And then I was propelled involuntarily into a prayer position on the side of the bath. And I said to the midwife, I think the baby's coming. And she said, oh, you've got a while to go. What I should have said is there's a head hanging out of my vagina <laughs> and we haven't talked this through at all. <laughs> so imagine me, and this is, you can't make this stuff up. Imagine me there in this prayer position with this head. And this is not funny. It kind of sounds like something that you should laugh at, but it's not funny. Something went through my head. I thought, I am going to have to pull this baby out and I want it to be alive. And there was one word that went through my head. One word. Armpits. Go for the armpits. So I did. So I went from a prayer position to this in one thousandth of a second. 
And my partner said, bloody hell, that looked like a magic trick. <laughs> and I said, from where I'm sitting, it looks like the scene of a shark attack. <laughs> Wild. Bloody hell, that looked like a magic trick. I mean, I could get the best writers and sit them in a room for a hundred years and we still wouldn't have come up with that line. <laughs> Look, parenting and children have really changed a lot. I think that we'll all agree, you know, dealing with kids and having our own and nieces and nephews. You know, back in our day, no one was lactose intolerant, gluten wasn't invented and peanuts were something that you ate, not some kind of, you know, weapon, some kind of crazy missile that was going to destroy the world. Look, I'm not saying that the kids with the nut allergies are faking it. That is not what I'm saying, OK? All I'm saying is... Man, sometimes I want to put some peanut butter in the chocolate crackles and just find out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Eliza, Eliza, have, have, have a chocolate crackle, darling. You don't like chocolate? No, they're not nuts. They're rice bubbles, darling. Don't eat them. That's okay. Just rub one on your face. There's a girl. But the parties are... What, the parties really annoy me. And what is this with the past the parcel these days? Back in my day, 200 layers of newspaper, one Fredo frog in the middle, and you had to share it between the 18 of you. I mean, these days, every kid has to get a prize. Like, OK, pass the parcel. Let's start now. First one to unwrap. Alex, what have you got there? An Xbox. Terrific. Let's just keep going around the circle and finding out what the other 250 children get. Oh, lovely, Eliza. What have you got there, sweetheart? All expenses, trip for two, to pay to New York. That'll be great when you can walk. Yeah. I just... The parties are... And they're all, you know, back in my day, they all have to be special these days, don't they? Kids all have to be special. Back in my day, there was no ADD kids, just some kids were mental. <laughs> no dyslexics, just idiots. That was the pile I was put in. My sons, we all would have been there. These days, it's just like, oh, look, we don't want to make a big deal about it, but um, we've had Felicity independently assessed and she's gifted. <laughs> oh, really? That's nice. My kids have nits. <laughs> if you've got a gifted child, you're not going to put your hand up now, but if you've got one, can I just give you a bit of advice? If you've got a gifted child, shut up. <laughs> not only do we don't care, we hate you. We're actually much happier for you if your child is in the special needs group. We really are. It's like, oh, so Scotty's 80, still wears a nappy to bed, he can't dress himself and he's got an IQ of room temperature. Oh, bless. I'm like, yes, my kids have just eaten their way one notch up in the food chain. It's shocking. But, you know, we, do, we, we just... They're good enough. The kids are good enough. They really... Oh, here's another thing. Back in my day, kids were scared of their parents finding out that they smoke. These days, parents are scared about their kids finding out their smoke. Isn't that true? Just like, oh, quick, quick, give us a quick drag. My kids don't know I smoke. Oh, oh, oh. oh hello, hello, little boys. What this? Oh, whew, not mine. Holding it for Auntie Louise. Sorry, what? She will die of lung cancer and burn in hell. I'll let her know. Go play with your brothers. Listen, my theory is there's no such thing as a bad mother. A good mother is just a bad mother with low expectations, <laughs> OK? Do what I do. I expect to be drunk by noon and have my children forcibly removed. And the fact that I don't makes me think I'm pretty shit hot if I do say so myself. 
To my children, I am a crushing disappointment. To myself, I'm a triumph, you know. Jimbaru, Akarat, tummy time, stuff that. This is life. The only thing I believe in is wine o'clock, you know. Because we all need something to get through. So anyway, I didn't know what to do today and I never really do, but I always kind of try to do a bit of light and shade. So um, I want to um, thank you all for having me and inviting me here today. And, um, you know, it was... Having kids for me was like, I don't need any more friends. I don't even have time to deal with the ones I have. I'm not going to be part of any community groups. I'll just send money, make cakes and do a shift at the Mother's Day store, okay? That's what I was thinking. But before I knew it, I was sucked into the mother's group, the play group, the toy library, the kinder committee, the school arts action initiative, the fate committee. You know, don't get me wrong. Community is where it's at. As a word, it sounds very empty. But to feel, in, to feel community is to feel embraced, loved and safe. But the fucking pointless meetings. <laughs> the bitching, the moaning, the backstabbing, the time wasting, the minutes, the passive aggression, the politics. You know what I'm talking and now you're thinking it's no wonder we drink. No, it's not. Look. I'm not saying Hitler was right, okay? I'm just saying, man, those fascists knew how to get something done. They knew how to get stuff done. It's just like, this is what's going on, end of discussion, you shut up, deal with it. You know, no drawn out symposiums, talk fests and achieving nothing and, fe and, and feedback forms. You know, these meetings are all, every kid gets a kick of the footy. Now, you know, there's no, every, you know, that's what I like about the fascists. There's, there's no, now what does everyone think? No, everyone gets to have a, have a say and be heard no matter how insane, pointless and and counterproductive some people are. <laughs> some people seem to get involved in communities so they can annoy, infuriate and be despised by people other than their own family. <laughs> it's, is it true? Hands up. Am I talking? Am I, ta am I? Hands up. Come on. Come on. They really do. I mean, and some, some community groups are so weighed down with protocol and politics, it's almost impossible to get stuff done, which is why you're there where your passion is and what you want to do. My point is thank you. We need community groups, as you all know, and the people who need them the most are probably the ones who don't even know that they need them. They are the heart and soul of our society. But don't think I don't know how hard at times it is wading through the red tape and bureaucracy to get the stuff done that you're there to do. I know, you know, many of us know. Thank you. Now, you know, I do all this kind of... <laughs> Did I miss something? Did Rhonda take her top off? <laughs> it's only a matter of time. So, you know, life is light and shade. I mean, I can tell jokes about my kids and it all sounds light and lovely and stuff, but it's not always like that. It's not always like that. I mean, like all of us, I live a, you know, creatively, intellectually, psychologically and emotionally vivid life. And it's exhausting sometimes. And it's a, it's a cycle, you know. There's no running away from grief, sadness, stress, any of those things. We just need to know 
ways of dealing it. We need tools for when those things come into our lives. The Buddhists have a great saying, and it's something I'd probably like on my gravestone, and the saying is, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. So last year I suffered depression for a little while and the doctors were keen to, they thought that some antidepressants might help me. Not, I have no problem with antidepressants, but I didn't want something to have to deal with at the end, you know, like when I got out to have to deal with getting off that as well. And my thought was, if I can't file a column, I file two columns a week and I do a lot of other stuff as well, if I can't file a column, if I get to a day where I can't file a column, that is the day that I will go in and say, hook me up, strap me in, you know, give me a break from this. So there was this one night and I was sitting there and I knew I had to write the next morning and I just thought, this is the day that I will be calling up the paper and saying, I am not filing, I am going to the doctors instead. But instead, something happened. And I wrote this. It's called Just Keep Going. Every morning I sit on the front deck and drink my coffee, watching people propelling themselves through life. And I'm in awe of how people can keep going. What a wonder the human spirit is. I watch office workers jolted out of their slumber by their alarmed clocks who have shoveled in their breakfast and thrown on their clothes and rushed to catch the train to a job they hate. I say good morning to my elderly neighbours who gingerly walk around the block, trying to get their creaky bones and foggy heads working after a night of constant pain and little sleep. I wave to the woman from down the road who's lost her mother after a long fight with cancer. She is shrouded in grief, yet she gets her kids up and dressed the lunch is made and has, against all odds, got the kids to school on time again. And I cheer my mate, overwhelmed by anxiety and depression, who runs every morning. He forces himself out of bed when what he wants is to pull the doona over his head and disappear. Where's his medal? Where are all of these people's medals? No one will ever know the extent of the battles some people among us are fighting and how tough they are finding life. How they find the courage, the bravery and the blind hope to push themselves through the day. When everything is such an effort, people, some people are only able to live by five minute increments, lurching from one coffee to the next, from one mood swing to the next, from one wave of pain to the next. These are people whose favourite part of the day is the moment before they fall asleep because they know they'll have a break from their pain. These people's boilers aren't working and all they're operating with, operating with is the pilot. That's why these people are my heroes. Winston Churchill said, when you find yourself in hell, just keep going. While many of us have the luxury of spending our time discussing house prices, is it art or is it porn? So many of us around us are struggling. I saw a postcard last week that reminded me of how tough some people are doing it. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. You don't read much about pain in the newspaper, but it's all around us. It's all politics, sports, terror, business, celebrities, the economy and recipes. For many, gloom and doom is a welcome distraction from the lacerating pain of their broken hearts, the weight of their depression, or the terrifying and overwhelming pull of addiction. We only have one life. The idea is to make the most of it. Some change could leave you, lead you to a better life, 
But how would you know? If so, what changed? If only there were mortgage brokers for life who could run our stats through a computer program and furnish us with all the best life solutions. Option 5 provides you with the highest level of satisfaction and the lowest level of dissatisfaction. So lose weight, sell your house, stay with your wife, become a dentist, stop eating cheese and buy a new mattress. <laughs> Not everyone can keep going. Some people's pain is so profound that the only place they find peace is in death. Like many, I've been touched by suicide. As difficult as it is to comprehend, deep in my heart, I know my loved ones were just desperate to find peace. Let's help others in pain to find some sweet relief. Let's start a cheer squad for people overwhelmed by emotional pain, physical pain, exhaustion and insomnia. For parents up with babies night after night, for people caring for the sick and disabled round the clock and for those whose lives have been ripped apart at the seams. Let's cheer them on from the sideline. You bloody legend, you're a hero. Just keep going. You're almost there. There's a website called Group Hug for anonymous online confessions. Amid all the pain, I found this contribution. There are two things I've found to always be true in life, no matter what, and I've found them too. Every day the sun will rise. It's a difficult day. It's a different day with endless possibilities. From the time you wake up in the morning to the time you sleep that night, your life may change profoundly. This too will pass. These words engraved on an ancient sultan's ring made him solemn in happy times and happy during sad times. Remember this always. You are amazing and you're doing a great job. Just keep going. I think out of everything I've written, that's the thing that I'm most proud of. I got um, a lot of response from people who just felt like the rest of the world just didn't see that they existed. And it was really fabulous. It didn't feel like my own work. It just kind of felt that it came to me. So things did get better. Things did get better. And, you know, like all of us, ups and downs, goods and bads, happies and sads and time you don't remember. But the only thing that we don't know is in what order they'll come. I wrote... Um, uh, and another article, and it's in the book if you'd like to, be, to, to read it. It's just called Do Something. And it, it basically talks about um, that when you don't know what to do, do anything. When my mother's house was burnt down, she said that it wasn't the people who did wrong things that upset her, it's the people who did nothing. Which taught me that when you don't know what to do, do anything. Be assertive in your caring, but don't stay long. And don't expect anything. Chances are, if you were to say to someone, Call me if you need anything, they won't. So just do something, anything. Cook them a meal and tell them to keep the container. Call them, and if you leave a message, let them know they don't need to call back. Lend them your favourite movie and leave a stamped, self-addressed envelope so they can send it back to you. Take them to the library, buy them some flowers, walk their dog, take them a pie for lunch, organise a massage for them or buy them a pair of red socks. If they're stuck in bed, buy them a new set of sheets and change them if they'll let you. Do their washing, take their kids to the park and bring them back fed and tired at bedtime and when in doubt, make soup. Just let them know that you're there, even if they're not. You'll be doing far more for them than you'll ever know and far more for yourself than you'll ever think possible. Be there holding the lamp and you may be the light at the end of the, someone's long dark tunnel. We're all in this together. One moment you're holding the lamp, the next you'll find someone's holding it for you. We all have good times, bad times, happy times, sad times and times we won't remember. That is certain. The only thing we don't know is in which order they will come. So on saying that, 
I'm looking at this room of people who work with communities and I'd have a fair stab at it and say that you guys are probably the ones who are looking after everyone and no one's looking after you. Not nearly as much as they should or not nearly as much as they can. And I wanted to let you guys know that it's really, really important to say no sometimes. You know, you look at families and often it's the same people who end up doing everything. You know, looking after mum, hosting the Christmas dinner, organising the group presents, organising the holidays, and probably it's you. You need to learn to say no. We're going to do it now. On the count of three, I want you to respond to these things with the word no. Let's have Christmas dinner at your place this year. No. Can you look after my children? No. I need you to come around, I'm depressed. No. Good. Well done. It's not that hard, is it? Yes, I'll come around. It's really not that hard. You have to find time for yourself, and the way to do it is by saying no. The more you do, the more people will expect of you, and the less you do, the more others people will do, and they will learn how to do. Take that away with you. Find something that makes you feel that you are having a break. Don't go, I know what I'll do, I've got a break, I'll get that other work done. Take a moment, get in the bath, read a book, lie on the bed and think about nothing. Whatever it is, you have to find stuff to keep yourself an emotionally nourished being because I'm sure for many of you, you walk out the door and you feel like you are being devoured. Devoured. Hands up that feeling. Anyone had that feeling yet? Absolutely devoured. You know, he's doing this. Where did I put my thing? Have you seen that? I asked you to do that. Have you called that person? You just have to let the other people around you do more. You know one thing that always strikes me? I find quite fascinating. When people split up, so often I hear people say, you know what, he's, you know, not paying me and, you know, he's, he's rude to me on the phone, but I've got to say he's become a better father. I've heard this a lot of times. And, like, suddenly these things that, that particularly mothers would have thought these blokes were incapable of, they can do. Do you know why? Because there's no one there to pick up the pieces. And they often do it. They really come into their own as fathers when the family is split apart, which is a real shame. I think sometimes women just jump in and do stuff too quickly. And particularly with blokes, I think the more they do, the more they do. They enjoy to be a part of that. They, they you know, deserve to be a part of that. And they deserve to be able to father in the way that they want to and the way that they should, not necessarily the way that you do it. Not necessarily. They mightn't be wearing the same clothes you'd put them in. They mightn't be even eating the same food. Just back off, let them do it themselves. And from here's a kind of a tip from very, very early days. Don't look, breastfeeding is the way to go, absolutely. And you know, if you can, fabulous. But this whole idea of, you know, they'll often say, oh no, don't give them a bottle at all, nipple confusion. I think it's very anti-bloke. A kid won't die if they have two bottles a week of formula or of breast milk. And that, you know what happened? The blokes really get to bond with those kids. Not just doing the, quickly, can you go and change the baby and then I'll just put them to sleep because it's just easier. But doing the whole thing. You know, wake, feed, change, bath, settle, the whole thing. And the earlier they do it and the more they do it, the more at the end you'll be able to both be parenting together. Because looking after children is not the mother's job. You are parents your parents together. And I'd love if, if anything went out from here, I think that would be great because having children is fabulous. And um, it's all, you know, not only does it take a village to raise a child, it takes a village to raise an adult. So anyway. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the community's In Control Library. If you did, 
We'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit communitiesincontrol.com.au.